Hello and welcome to Plastics News Radio. This episode is one of a series we recorded on location from the negotiations for a global plastics treaty in Paris. I'm Steve Tolikin, your host and a journalist at Plastics News. We went to the talks because this treaty could have a big impact on how we manufacture plastics, how we use it, and how we deal with its pollution. Over the next 18 months, diplomats from more than 150 countries will try to reach an agreement. In Paris, I talked with both industry and environmental groups about what they want. In this episode, we hear from Betsy Bowers, head of the expanded polystyrene industry alliance in the United States. Betsy said she was in Paris to listen to what countries wanted and to prepare to push back against some early calls in the treaty to restrict EPS packaging. We're here with Betsy Bowers, uh, the executive director of the EPS Industry Alliance in the United States. Uh, the alliance represents companies that make expanded polystyrene foam products, both foam insulation in building and construction and foam used in protective packaging for shipping consumer goods like electronics and appliances. Uh, we're sitting here uh, in Paris on the last day of this round of plastics treaty negotiations. Uh, Betsy, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Steve. Uh, we really appreciate the invitation to talk to you today. And um, the EPS Industry Alliance um, represents the North American EPS manufacturers. And most of our work is focused on um, you know, the environmental aspects of our products okay. um, in production and in use and disposal. So we have been very interested in the United Nations uh, Treaty and been um, a great learning experience here this week. Okay, and you have been here all week as I understand, of course. Yes, right? I have. Okay, can you talk about what uh, goals your organization has uh, for the plastics treaty talks or the treaty in general? Yes, I think that we would like to see that the polystyrene industry and as well other industries are better understood in terms of application versus polymer. So when the plastics pollution, which is very unsightly, um, and we've seen lots of images this week, looking at the um, consequences of the plastics pollution. We see that those images um, are tied to disposal methods and tend to spark um, you know, questions about, well, how is this being disposed of? But we think that one of our goals is to help understand the value of plastics and especially plastics packaging that it plays in helping to keep our planet healthy, food healthy, um, water clean, all of those different areas that plastics contributes to. And we saw in a lot of the comments, um, even from you know Inger Anderson, the president of France, and other member states speaking this week. Okay, you're referring to Inger Anderson, who's the executive director of the United Nations Environment yes, Program. Yes, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, that they have, um, you know, commented on the value of plastics, and we're encouraged to see that. So we, one of our goals is to, um, especially for expanded polystyrene, is that there's an understanding of the application versus the polymer and then the disposal challenges that plastics are facing. Okay, um, as I've looked through the uh, EPS industry's sort of submissions to the treaty process ahead of time, um, it seems like uh, the EPS industry in particular is very concerned about one topic, um, which is this discussion at the treaty about having any agreement uh, develop lists of problematic plastics that should be phased out of certain applications. Um, and there have been some suggestions that EPS and polystyrene should be on those lists. I mean, there in particular was a UN science document 
late last year, which classified PS and EPS uh, as problematic or unnecessary. Um, is that? Uh, I imagine that's that's a concern for the associate, or f that's a concern for your association. Um, do you feel like that that? Uh, is there something that the UN process is getting wrong in listing EPS on that list? We think there needs to be much more robust criteria developed. When they're looking at plastics elimination as an option, we think that there needs to be criteria looking at um, you know, specific goals that they're trying to achieve and weighing it against what they're looking at for recycled content, what they're looking at for um, those materials that are already recyclable. So for example, um, in expanded polystyrene transport packaging, which is used extensively in food distribution, especially for fresh fish, um, those fish boxes are recyclable. And we know that Walmart is recycling their fish boxes, and so is Costco in Canada. And we've talked to the gentleman in Bentonville and Walmart who's recycling his fish boxes. So we're fairly certain that the alternative materials would not be recyclable because of the contamination. Um, and that is something that we think everyone needs to be aware of when they're looking at all of the options to deal with the plastics prevention aspect of this treaty. Uh, when you look at uh, you know, uh, Environmental Protection Agency US EPA data around uh, polystyrene recyclability, um, the figures in the US EPA data are quite low. I mean, it shows negligible recycling, uh, or I think that there's a sort of a catch-all category of PS packaging which has a 6% recycling rate. Um, that suggests it's not being recycled very much, but is that figure, are those figures accurate or? The figures are accurate, but they have to be taken in context of what exactly that they cover. We had this discussion with the state of California relative to SB 54. And so when they're looking at recycling data for all polystyrene, and we're a part of that, our number gets di you know, greatly diluted. So in fact, in the United States and Canada, we're recycling over 40% based on the um, ISO definition, which includes commercial. Okay, um, it, it includes, for example, as I understand it, um, if Walmart receives a shipment and that is packaged in EPS and Walmart recycles that EPS, that number is included within the ISO figures and the figures you're citing. Yes. Okay. However, the EPA tends to be or is more focused on consumer waste and what's recyclable within the consumer uh, waste. So I believe that they track commercial waste separately, um, but we, um, we do have recognition in different areas that expanded polystyrene is recyclable. Um, there is a lot of work being done to promote food service recycling. The FDA in the United States, for example, does have some new regulations that provide for recycled content. And with the chemical recycling that is um, moving forward, there's a tremendous opportunity for food service packaging to be recycled as well. Okay. With regards to the consumer side of it, I mean, uh, you know, I, I live in, in the northern Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C., and I know your association is in the Maryland suburbs. And uh, in the community I live in, we can't recycle you know, e our EPS foam in our curbside. So if I buy a new printer for the home office or buy a piece of electronics, um, sometimes if I have enough of it, I take it to your offices in Crofton, Maryland. It's about an hour drive. Um, isn't it 
problematic for me to have to do that in terms of calling it a, a material that is recyclable? I mean, that, that's a, a bit of a simplistic question, perhaps, but... I think that the terms for recyclable being tied strictly to the consumer may be a... maybe a, a, a difficult sort of equation in terms of wanting to increase our recycling rates. In our case for the EPS industry, we have never endorsed subsidy. The recycling that we do stands on its own two feet. So we want to go and build a foundation for recycling that is based on the volumes we need to make this work long term. We have um, a benchmark going back to 1991 that has shown consistent and steady growth since then. We're recycling about 65,000 tons in Canada and the US, and that is a stable figure. It's not uh, you know, up and down each year. Okay. Um, so those are, that's something that we're very proud of to the extent that it includes post-consumer. Um, we would say that it is a small portion of that, but it is allowing us to add on some post-consumer, like we're working with um, the state of Oregon on their um, implementation of their environmental producer responsibility bill. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that, and that's a point also I, I, I wanted to get into, and I think it relates to the treaty discussions. We're hearing a lot of statements this week about, from country delegations and from industries and from uh, other observers about um, the steps being discussed in the treaty to improve the circularity of plastics, whether that is extended producer responsibility programs, recycled content mandates, design for recyclability standards, things like that. Um, and you're mentioning EPR in Oregon. Um, where does the EPS Association come down in terms of supporting measures like that? We just responded to um, Environment Canada. Uh, they've released a draft regulation looking at a um, mandatory 40% recycled content by 2030. And we're um, very encouraged that our industry um, feels confident it can meet those numbers. Um, we think that in our case, where we are taking material back um, at a variety of different locations in the waste to volume, that we've got some, some um, you know, feedstock uh, continuity that we definitely have to take into account. And that's why where Canada has gone on a mass balance approach to incorporating recycled content, where that's fantastic. If it's on an individual piece of material basis, that becomes a lot more challenging because it's difficult for our molders, our manufacturers, to secure the feedstock on a consistent basis. We're depending on others to do their part as well. Okay. So, um, as well as with, um, we very much support extended producer responsibility, and we are on record as um, supporting the Oregon bill and been working with them on their implementation. They have designated expanded polystyrene transport packaging as a recyclable ma material under their depot collection uh, aspect of, of their EPR implementation, and okay. we're very encouraged by that. Do you see programs like that having potential uh, for the treaty, EPR programs, including depot systems like that. Do you see that as a potential uh, element or point of discussion in the treaty going forward? I know that the treaty has talked about EPR and we hope that they do explore that option in terms of looking at the different, how the different nationalities might be able to implement them. We believe that there is guidance over 
overriding guidance is definitely needed to make these EPR programs work. Okay, so you know we're obviously here on day five of these treaty negotiations, the last day of this round, barring something unusual happening. Um, and it's been it's been an interesting week. It's been a busy week. Um, just uh, curious to, to learn a little bit about your day-to-day -day experience here at the Plastics Treaty. What's it been like for you? What have you learned? Well, I've learned a lot. I think that it's important for us to understand the process for EPSI to really understand what the member states need, what are uh, their information needs, how can we help them. That's what I've been paying attention to the most. Um, I think that I have definitely learned a lot about all of the different mindsets and solutions that they are getting ready to explore. And we see that in some of the sessions in the last couple of days, they have identified several intercessional follow-up action items that um, speak to the depth of information they're really having to um, address here. Yeah, these intercessional meetings, I guess, is where kind of the rubber will meet the road in terms of writing more detailed treaty language that they're going to present, I guess, at the next INC in Kenya. Um, so do you see, the, you see those intercessional discussions as very important also to the uh, EPS industry? I do. And that's where I think that the scientific community has a huge role to play. And I, I have seen a lot of, um, I've seen a lot of encouraging comments this week that that is something that, although it's been talked a lot about in the past, through the discussions this week, I can see where that actually will come into play. Does the uh, EPS industry plan to participate in future INCs? We do. Um, we also um, understand that there may be an invitation for the plastics industry representatives to um, be represented in some of the intercessional sessions, and we would definitely like to contribute to that if there's a role for us to play there as well. Okay. Well, great. Well, on that note, uh, Betsy, we're, we're approaching the end of our time here, but thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate the opportunity. This has been a Plastics News production. For more on the Global Plastics Treaty and other stories on plastics public policy matters, visit us at plasticsnews.com. And thanks for listening.